is Bloomberg Surveillance. That's where the focus ought to be on fiscal policy going forward is how do we generate a better environment to create business investment, create capital. We have these ups and downs in job growth. This is one of those down periods, but I'm quite confident that in the third quarter things will pick back up again. I'm long of crude oil because it is moving from the lower left to the upper right. Do I embrace it enthusiastically? No. Do I have stops underneath it? Absolutely. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. This most busy week and into next week, Michael McKee and I in London a week from today. But before that, a Federal Reserve Open Market Committee meeting. When is that, Michael? Wednesday? That is Wednesday. Wednesday. With John Farrell, we were talking this morning. It's going to be a most interesting, uninteresting meeting. Yeah. And, because and nothing's going to happen, but we'll see what well, they say about July. I, but I, I would say that surprises are always in order with central banks when there's no expectation of surprise. Our expectation is to tell you a better tape right now. An hour ago, negative nine, now negative six on the S&P 500 in really very tightly uh, linked across equities, bonds, currencies, commodities. Just for one example, the Switzerland 20-year was a stunning negative 0.10. It's now a little bit higher as well. I'm trying to be optimistic uh, this morning. Bloomberg Surveillance, always brought to you by Cone Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. Is your business ready to break through? See how the professionals at Cone Resnick can help guide your business forward. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, Cone Resnick. Dot com. There are knock-on effects. We are trying to keep up with the dynamics of fixed income currency. But as I have suggested, uncountable times, somehow there are knock-on effects over to the banking system, whether it's in America, in the United Kingdom, and particularly what we see in Europe, a difficult morning for European banks. An important time to speak to Christopher Wheeler of Atlantic Equities. Christopher, wonderful to get you on short notice. Why are Unicredit and Deutsche Bank rolling over? Yes, good morning, Tom. Good to talk to you. And, um, well, the, uh, I think you've touched on some of that in your introduction. I think the fears of that we saw last week around certain aspects of obviously Brexit, interest rates falling further, bond yields going down further, making it very, very difficult to banks to, to actually generate net interest income. And I think the concern is what the knock-on effect that might be to their earnings and for a bank like Deutsche and for Unicredit. Right. Both of them, there are question marks over their capital position, particularly Unicredit. And I think it doesn't help to to have more fear on exactly what capital they can generate internally through earnings. How will their managements adapt? We all know expense control is front and center in pairing back this, pairing back that. There's a point where that begins to unravel. Managers love control. Are we near a point where they lose control and have to go on to the next strategic wisdom? Well, let's start first with Unicredit, because Unicredit are actually in searching for the chief executive. And the problem is, all they came up with last week is they'd had a meeting to agree the parameters for hiring the new chief executive. As you well know, after the years in the market, this creates massive uncertainty for yeah. a bank where there are lots of questions around the franchise. So they are in the middle of the next phase, if you want. For Deutsche, I think it's a matter of, of John Klein mm. trying to get his troops and his really knowledgeable fixed income team to make sure they work out what they right. can do to protect, to protect the bank position to try and protect their earnings capacity. 
Mike, that CEO movement at Unicredit, somehow I don't think that's a McKinsey consulted event. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't sound like what McKinsey would do. How long do we see uh, the ups and downs of the European banks, particularly the Italian banks like Unicredit, go on? I mean, can when can they get their feet underneath them? What's it going to take? I mean, it, it, this, 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 you, you, how many times have I been asked, when are we going to get there? When are we going to start to feel we have a platform on which we can build? And over the last five years, we've constantly had false dawns. And it's very difficult to predict exactly when these banks are going to come out of it. They're all going to have to go through certain changes. Again, with Unicredit, I suspect it's more work on the balance sheet, more work on the bad loan book, more work on capital. I look at Deutsche. John Crines laid out, laid out a very clear path. The problem is that path is going to take him a very long time to get back to a strong balance sheet and strong profitability with all the other stuff going on around it and you can argue you know around rates around brexit around a weaker asia nobody quite knowing where the fed is going to go in the united states and who's going to be the president come november it's an awful lot to think about for these managements what is the uh, you mentioned brexit what's the impact on european banks not so much the uh, the uh, the british banks but the european banks should the british what? vote to leave well, I mean, actually, a lot of articles in the in the weekend press have been talking about the work about how banks like, obviously, Societe Generale, BNP, have been preparing to move people out of the UK back into Europe to deal with that issue. Of course, that obviously is going to be very relevant to UK and US banks, for example. But, um, you know, we've also got the situation of some of these banks saying, where is the opportunity? You know, you've read the articles about, you know, the, the, the mayor of Paris welcoming bankers to Paris. Um, we're going to have a lot of this if, if we do see a, a vote to leave, and it's going to be very, very disruptive, and, and my worry is that what we've got to is a rather ugly situation whereby the whole debate now is, is revolving around immigration rather than economics. Um, it's not surprising, but it's, it's making life very difficult and deciding which way this vote goes. How did, I mean, always when you get too big, too big to fails or substantial visible banks and you've got the emotion of national charter uh, within Europe, how do they work through a consolidation process if what we're observing is chronic. I think we get how that happens in America. How does that happen in Europe? No, you're absolutely right. In the United States, it's very clear the FDIC is now the body that will, will be involved in winding up banks and deciding how to proceed with troubled banks. We look at Europe, it's going to have to be the ECB. It's going to have to be the ECB who plays that role. And to date, what they've been much more worried about is trying to fund growth, trying to, to, to manage the bank's balance sheets, and as I said, try and, try and help all the different governments in the Eurozone to actually start to see some kind of, uh, some kind of growth and some kind of growth in inflation to help them, if you want, get out of the situation we're in. When do they turn to the situation of saying, guys, as the sensible regulator, we have to start talking about consolidation? I guess we're getting closer than we've been for a long time. Well, do they have a way to force consolidation? I think, I think the answer is as the lead regulator, and don't forget they are the lead regulator for Eurozone banks. They have that ability to you know, work with the bank, but also, of course, they work with the local government, be it in Germany or Italy or France or Spain. Of course, they work with them. But overall, they have the oversight of this banking system. And if they put their hands up and say, guys, we have to now you know, go beyond just providing QE and other mechanisms to boost our banking system, if it's got to be consolidation, we move on from where we thought we were, which is the big bank mergers were off the table. I think that is slightly, you know, slightly moving away again. Right. We need to always remind ourselves, Christopher Wheeler, of how big these things are. 
Deutsche Bank. Let me convert it to U.S. dollars for our American audience. We can do that, folks, in the Bloomberg with a click of a of a cursor there. There we go. Um, Deutsche Bank is enjoying something in the vicinity of 42 shrunk down to $34 billion in revenue. They bring 10 or 11 cents on the dollar down to operating income. That tells me they got a fair amount of wiggle room to continue to cut costs. Where will they cut? This is one of the problems that the German banks in particular faced, which is that the place you need to cut, the Swiss banks have the same problem, is head office. Historically, these banks have been very large, very bureaucratic organizations, and that's where they have to attack it. We've finally seen the Swiss last week talking about letting people go from Zurich. That's what has to be done. The problem in Germany is the labor laws make it very difficult for you to shed staff. It's not as easy as it is, say, in the United Kingdom or Switzerland or you know, all the United States. It's a long, long process, and you know it, that's one of the biggest problems they face. Plus, there's the publicity angle. What happens within the German market is obviously the local German press saying, hang on a minute, they're firing all these guys in, in Frankfurt, uh, in the center of the business, you know, the head office sort of um, bureaucrats. What about all those fancy bankers in New York and London? They're not, they're not getting fired. So you, you actually get inside the bank this kind of tension um, between you know, where the job losses should be. And, and Germany gets very upset when it doesn't feel that the other parts of the business are taking their fair share of the pain. Well, do they tend, to, though, to let people go who are the revenue producers or uh, the other way around? Well, historically, you always avoid trying to let your revenue producers go. And again, you know, the bureaucracy that exists within some of the big centers, some of the big banks in Europe um, is quite remarkable. John Klein noted this when he first took over about how many committees there were, how many he wanted to cut out to try and make lines of communication quicker. And obviously what goes with that is having yeah. you know, less, less, less staff on the books. <clears throat> Do you have any buys on European banks? Is there something you could enthuse us with this morning? Not really, Tom, because I don't think I focus predominantly on the Europeans, but uh, the U.S. banks, but then, then looking back at the Europeans. But, look, I think there's some banks there people are excited about. I see people excited about BNP. I see people excited about Lloyds Bank if we get through the Brexit vote. Um, I see some people excited about Santander if we get through the Brexit vote. Mm-hmm. Don't forget they have a big business in the U.K. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some good retail There's some good retail names out there who've got strong balance sheets. In the case of BNP, right. a, a, a bank which has got a very focused investment bank, which is, is not the dominant part of the business. The dominant part remains the right. and active management. This is what it's all about. Christopher Wheeler, thank you so much. On very short notice Pleasure. this morning, this is what we love, is to get world-class guests on on some of the tangential things going on in the market. We're focused on lower rates. We're focused on currencies in the move. Sterling, 141.71, but European banks having a tough go of it this morning. We'll see how their counterparts in America do here in an hour and 20 minutes. Futures Improved from the lows of two hours ago. Futures negative six. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Across the nation and around the globe, people are remembering the 50 people killed and at least 53 more wounded after a gunman opened fire at a club in Orlando, Florida, early Sunday. Meanwhile, the ex-wife of the suspected gunman, Omar Mateen, says he was bipolar and was a homophobe. Just hours after the Florida nightclub shooting, police in Southern California responded to a call about suspicious activity, arrested an Indiana man, and found three assault-style rifles and chemicals used to make explosives in his car. 
James Wesley Howell said he was heading to the L.A. Pride Parade in West Hollywood. There are calls today for holdout nations to ratify the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty on its 20th anniversary so it can take full effect. The holdouts include the U.S. and Pakistan. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Uh, Michael, thank you so much. Curve flattening. We're at 88 beeps, 89 basis points, down 91. So a bit of a relief to the market in the last hour. Michael McKeon, Tom Keen, from New York, Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net.